Truth what happens is, as children grow up, we start to educate them progressively from the waist up. And then we focus on their heads, and slightly to one side. I think of the old days, you were better off, because nowadays they're all specialists. Everyone's becoming better and better, and less and less. And eventually someone's going to be superb, like Our education systems have mined our minds in the way that we strip mined the earth for a particular commodity. And for the future, it won't serve us. We have to rethink the fundamental principles on which we're educating our children. We're not here to tell everybody that they're wrong and we're right. We're not saying that we have all the answers, but um, we'd like to present a different way of looking at it. Hello, listeners, and welcome to China Education, episode 43. My name is Andrew Mall, and I am a PYP cover teacher at Dresden International School in Dresden, Germany. Yes, all the way from Dresden, Germany. Welcome to the China Education show. Another teacher from all around the world, and a first, I believe, from Germany. Andrew, start us off. Why, how did you get to Dresden in Germany? Well, I, I married into it. So uh, my wife, Alicia, is a music teacher. Mm-hmm. And uh, we dated long distance for several years while I was working in Italy um, in my previous life uh, working for the U.S. government. And uh, we ended up getting married. And we decided after a couple of years uh, in Italy that we would pursue, again, her international teaching career moved to Uzbekistan, lived there for three years, and then after three years in Uzbekistan, went through the recruitment process, which then brought us uh, here to Dresden. Okay, so your wife is from where? Uh, She's from Michigan in the United States, uh, and I'm from Florida, but um, we have this kind of international um, dating story, uh, (laughs) which brought us together in Italy. We like to say we met in Venice, uh, which sounds very romantic, (laughs) but we actually saw each other for the first time at the airport. It just happened to be the Venice airport. So <laughs> well, that works. That works. Yeah, it works. It works. Yeah. So, so you met in an airport in Venice. Um, That's right. I'm sorry. Give us a few more details. What you were kind of just walking along <laughs> and your bag hit her bag and you looked up. No, no, it was arranged uh, because we'd previously both um, lived and work in Bahrain. Um, which is an island in the Persian Gulf off the coast of Saudi Arabia. I was there uh, doing government stuff, and uh, my wife was teaching at um, an international school in Bahrain. Um, We were there at different times but knew different people, and they ended up introducing us vicariously through Facebook. Um, And we got to chatting, and she had a wedding that she was attending in northern Italy because she has family there, and asked me if I wanted to be her blind date to the wedding. Uh, and then I drove up and met her at the airport, and one thing led to another, and here we are uh, seven years later. <laughs> wow. And that was the first time you actually physically met in Venice Airport? It was. Yeah, it was. Wow. wow. Amazing story. So I have to say, I'll tell the listeners, uh, looking at your bio and that, that you are quite a well-traveled uh, gentlemen, um, we probably need quite a few hours to go into all the places you've been. But just to 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 take you back, you said you work for the for the U.S. government. Um, just so we can let the listeners know, that wasn't teaching. That was what was it? Some kind of undercover stuff, Andrew? What what were you up to up to there before the teaching started? Uh, not nothing undercover or clandestine. I promise you. Uh, no, I was a <laughs> logistician. So. 
pretty pretty boring job, but very interesting in that I got to travel all over the world and uh, go to a lot of uh, very interesting countries and meet a lot of cool people. Um, and I did that for eight years. Mm. Um, and it was after six years that I that I met um, Alicia, and uh, we decided after two more years that we'd leave that behind and um, continue on this international teaching journey, which we're on today. And and choosing to to head into teaching, I mean, there must have been obviously quite a few reasons. But you've travelled and lived working for the U.S. civil service across Europe. You've said Africa, Southwest, and Central Asia. I mean, just off the top of the head, what was the most favourite country you've uh, you've lived in? Uh, as far as living, I've only lived in three countries, and that's um, Italy, uh, Bahrain. Uh, Uzbekistan. Uh, no, I'm sorry, not Uzbekistan. Not with the um, civil service. We did that when we decided to continue on the teaching teaching career. But mm-hmm. Italy, Bahrain, um, the United States were the three countries that I lived in working for the U.S. government. Um, but yeah, since then, also Uzbekistan and Germany. So the other countries I just did, you know, for work. So 30 countries professionally in some sort wow. of work capacity. Uh, and then a total, I think, of 55 countries, if you include all the places that I've visited uh, on my own uh, in the meantime. And the diplomatic, uh, very governmental answer would be, I enjoyed all the countries. They all have good points, right? <laughs> well, that would be the diplomatic answer, yeah. But I, I'd have to say that w- one of the most interesting places I visited, probably the most beautiful country in Africa, um, is Malawi. Um, if I uh-huh. ever had a chance to go back to Malawi in Africa, I would definitely do that. There are other places that I went for my job that you know I didn't appreciate so much. Um, but I think Malawi was one of the ones that sticks out of my mind as the most beautiful and the most memorable. Now, I remember an old school friend of mine, Alan Ritchie, funny how we just remember names, I haven't spoken to him for years. His father was, a, I can't remember the name for someone that studies um, insects, uh, how terribly bad of me, but he, he actually was a scientist based in Malawi. And uh, actually, the lake, uh, Lake Malawi, is as big as, listeners, Wales um, in the United Kingdom. Did you know that, Andrew? Uh, it is a big lake. I've seen the lake. Uh, one of the uh, sites that we were working on was right on Lake Malawi. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big lake. I think they have ferries that go across it and whatnot, too. You're, you shouldn't swim in it, though, from what I've been told, because right. I'm sure your friend could tell you there's an insect <laughs> yes, yes. that um, can burrow into your skin and then come out months later. Uh, so that doesn't sound very pleasant. So we stayed out of the water. I, I'm just thinking, I actually just said on air that the lake Malawi is as big as Wales. I mean, I hope I got that right. I mean, I, I'm, the researchers are nodding to me. It is right because that's just come off my head. I, I mean, unless I was lied to, but it is a big lake, right? I mean, but Wales is not a massive country, but it suggests to me, I mean, I've driven across Wales. That must be a big lake. It's, I mean, I've I've been to Wales myself and you're right. It's big. Um, I, I, wouldn't have necessarily compared it to the size of Lake Malawi, but if you're, I'm I'm sure that that's a correct uh, statistic. I'm sure we could look it up. It's be, I, I'm being told I've got the thumbs up, but but there you go. I mean, however, wherever that came from, we've always got to question the source as well. But anyway, um, on that note, let's dive into the game, shall we? Guess the gap. Oh, we chat, waiting, we chat, waiting, we chat, waiting, me. We chat, waiting, we chat, waiting, come to my party. Okay, so guess the gap, Andrew. I'm going to give you a famous quote to do with education, teaching, and uh, there's going to be a word or a few words left out, and you've got to guess what goes in it. Before I I give you it, of course, no cheating on uh, Google or anything like that. Not that I say you possibly would. Obviously, working with the government, you'd never do such a thing. Here we go, then. Teachers, not in it for the income, in it for the blank. 
we'll come back to it at the end Andrew and see how you do right so let's talk more about your story then where where do you come from uh, originally I was born in Atlanta Georgia um right. I, I don't have to give my my birth date or anything like that I hope <laughs> um <laughs> absolutely but I'm, not. I'm, I'm not okay okay good uh, yeah, so originally I'm from uh, Atlanta, Georgia, um, but then when we were six weeks old, when I was six weeks old, uh, moved to uh, Florida, not my choice, obviously, being an infant, um, but <laughs> my, my mom and dad uh, needed to change locations, so we moved to a town called Pensacola, which is on the uh, central Gulf Coast uh, of the United States. Um, stayed there for most of my formative years um, and then moved again to Tampa, Florida, which is about uh, eight hours uh, on the highway from Pensacola in central Florida. And that's where I went to uh, high school and then uh, on to university uh, from there. So Georgia is where I was born, but I'm really from Florida. I mean, I spent the majority of my childhood there. Okay. And you, you said you went to college, university. That was in Florida too, right? Yeah, no, after um, after hi high school, I uh, went to the University of Central Florida, which is in Orlando. Um, mm -hmm. People ask me all the time if I went to Disney World no, all the time. Say. And <laughs> I, yeah, I said, well, you know, I was I was a college student. I didn't actually have a lot of money. So, no, I didn't go to Disney World all the time, even though it was right down the road. Um, but, yeah, I went to uh, University of Central Florida. Um, and then in 2006 is when I graduated uh, decided to get out of the state and move to Virginia, which is where I started mm -hmm. my uh, career with the civil service. What did you study in uh, in college? So it's nothing to do with anything that I've done in my professional life. Uh, growing up in Florida and being surrounded by tourism and hospitality, I thought it might be fun to major in hospitality management. Okay. So that's what I did. Um, come to find out that, you know, after... Uh, learning a lot about the industry, that it wasn't necessarily something that I had any interest in actually pursuing professionally. Because when do people who run restaurants and uh, when do people who work at theme parks and, and manage cruise ships and that kind of thing, well, you know, they're the ones who are working when all of your friends are out enjoying themselves. So I had no desire to do that. I wanted to have more of a normal life and so decided to pursue a career in logistics with the, uh, with the U.S. government. I tell you what, though, Andrew, sometimes I do feel like I'm in hospitality management as I, you know, as I allow the students to come into my classroom every day. You know, some of them, it's, it's almost like bringing them into breakfast. Oh, would you like to sit down there? Oh, lovely. Is that comfortable enough for you, sir? You know, so I think there is a little <laughs> bit of that. There's a little bit of no, that. that you... <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely relevant in terms of, you know, the the root of the industry um, event planning and uh, logistics and, and that kind of thing. I mean, everything that we're that we're doing in schools and in our classrooms and um, my previous job at Tashkent International School, for example, where I was the uh, activities uh, coordinator, mm. um, a lot of my background in planning and event management uh, came into play there. So I'm definitely grateful for the educational experience I had, even though, you know, most people wouldn't immediately think that it's relevant. It definitely has relevance to uh, to what I do today. Uh, question from our researchers. Uh, being a student uh, in Orlando, uh, we're thinking that perhaps the government would have given you, you know, a little subsidy to go and use the theme parks when you're not studying. Is that not the case? You don't get like a student discount? 
Well, I as a Florida resident, you do get oh. a discount to visit the theme parks. Um, you can it? get like a, an, an annual pass for a hundred a uh, hundred dollars, I think. Um, I'm sure that's much more expensive today than it was then. Right. Um, but yeah, there's a Florida resident discount that gets you in. But I had nothing to do with the government when I was in Orlando. That didn't start until after I graduated from university. So. I'm still I'm still looking for an excuse. Uh, well, my excuse is already made. My four children, but I'm wondering. I want to go there um, to Disney World and, and all the other places because, of course, there's loads of them, right? Um, when they're probably about four, because I think they're a bit young before that. They need to be walking and talking and um, you know able to go on the rides. Although, actually, probably not at four years of age. They're not going to go on most of the rides, are they? Be too small. Yeah, I don't understand these these parents who decide they need to drag their infants to theme parks. It sounds like a miserable experience. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. get it. I really don't get it. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll have to wait till they get a little bit tall. I need to work that one out. Yes, you're absolutely right, especially when there's massive queues and the sun's beating down. Okay, let's move away from that for terrible experience. Right. So, um in terms of, you know, growing up uh in in Georgia and moving to Florida and and all that stuff, going through your your schools, Favorite teacher that comes to mind, Andrew, that sticks out there? Uh, yeah, I, I got this question beforehand, and I was trying to think of a teacher outside of elementary school, and I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And I think that that really kind of plays into why I've decided to go into teaching and elementary education specifically, because elementary ed, not many people have that many uh, memories from their elementary school experience, but I remember uh, several teachers in elementary school. Yeah. Number one, I think, has got to be my second grade teacher, Miss Tooney, um, just for the the sheer fact that she understood me, you know, as a, a seven turning eight year old kid, uh, hyperactive boy, um, you know, usually a, a lot of times, especially back in the day, uh, tend to be. Um, written off as you know it's like oh they're just boys and they're being crazy and or whatnot mm-hmm. but no i think that miss tooney she really she understood me she appreciated me and was able to um kind of use my um interests uh to turn turn it into a very valuable learning experience for me uh, growing up as a kid and just to this day i mean i have no idea where miss tooney is today but she was definitely my fa- favorite teacher growing up for sure yeah, again, so many teachers go back to those elementary years, and it has really nothing to do with the content of what they're studying. It, it, yeah, there just Mm-mm. seems to be a very uh, a time where I think as a child you really do look up for for those kind of um, figures, you know, to imitate or to be inspired by, and it's character forming. And um, yeah, again, why I love teaching uh, that age group, Andrew. So. You talked about earlier you worked for the government for about eight years, uh, which you went to do after you did university and things like that. How did the teaching come about? You mentioned your wife, of course. She was a teacher at the time. You met in Venice uh, Airport. Uh, Take us, yeah, how did then the teaching connection get in? Because I guess one of my questions is why would you leave a solid job in the government where you're going around lots of different places, whether it be boring or not, like you said, um, to then kind of say, hey, let's uh, let's become a teaching family, right? Yeah, a lot of people I'm sure have wondered why I left a tenured civil service position that paid really well. Um, No one's ever actually asked me though. So (laughs) this is a cool opportunity. Um, No, I mean, I, I think that, I, I've always uh, had it in my mind that I need to be doing something professionally that that I feel is making uh, a tangible difference. 
And, um, you know, working for the government, um, serving my country, yes, that that was making a difference on some level, but it wasn't doing for me, I think, what it needed to in terms of my um, take home uh, feel good factor at the end of the day. Mm. Um, I've always worked with kids um, ever since uh, before university. Uh, I, I grew up in a church. Uh, my mom's a, a pastor. So I, I've always been. Uh, connected to this idea of kind of um, like like giving back to the youth and having had a lot of uh, mentors in my life growing up, um, it's it's been very important for me to to do that as well. So, yeah, why, how did I get into it? I volunteered for organizations, um, youth mentorship organizations, when I was overseas uh, the first couple of years. Um, there's an organization called uh, Military Community Youth Ministries uh, or Club Beyond which um, the military community has a lot of kids in it who, uh, you know, they, they move all the time. They're losing their friends a lot, uh, moving from place to place. Um, third culture kids as well. Um, I participated mm-hmm. in a lot of uh, conferences and um, like summer camp type atmosphere um, places where I was able to connect with a lot of people who were in this field, um, reaching out to third culture kids. And that's kind of the international teaching connection because after a couple of years in Italy, I went to Bahrain uh, for a year and was really kind of trying to decide what I was going to do with my life, um, not even having yet met my, my wife. So this is this is going back about five or six uh, – about eight years actually, um, mm-hmm. having to decide what I wanted to do um, if I was going to leave the civil service. And, and one of the thoughts I had was – Oh, I could go into teaching. I looked at some master's degree options, um, but never actually went through with it. I continued to volunteer with with youth organizations, and ended up moving back to Europe and um, setting further down the path uh, of my career um, with the civil service. So, until I met my wife, she told me yeah. when we were dating that she didn't want to marry a teacher. So. It's like, okay, great. I'm not a teacher, so this is perfect. So continued and, and then eventually decided that, you know what, um, we're going to follow your career. And while we're in Uzbekistan, which is where she was teaching, and I didn't have a teaching job there, obviously, um, I worked on my master's degree okay. and uh, ended up getting a job at the school. And once I was uh, working at the school, that's when I decided, you know what, uh, this is something that I might actually uh, want to pursue. I had some some friends and colleagues uh, at TIS, at Tashkent International School, who were also going through uh, career changes and uh, had had gone through teacher certification programs. Um, and a, diff- a bunch of different programs were recommended to me. Um, but again, while I was in Uzbekistan, didn't end up pursuing it because I had a good job at the school as the activities coordinator. I didn't need a teaching license for that. Um, and it wasn't until we moved uh, to Germany that uh, I realized that in order to be uh, taken seriously professionally, mm. um, I was going to need to have a credential. And that's what um, brought me to uh, the Teach Now uh, teacher certification program, uh, which seemed like the uh, quickest um, path for me uh, to licensure. And I figured that that would be uh, the best and quickest option to, um, you know, hopefully be uh, taken seriously professionally in order to get. Uh, a full-time job eventually uh, as a teacher. I mean, I can imagine, like in Germany, where you are, you you wouldn't be able to have a be employed, would you, without a, an actual professional accredited license, right? Uh, I think that as far as the visa process goes for um, hiring teachers uh, internationally, 
yes, you have to have uh, some sort of uh, degree or professional qualification in order to be brought in. However, since I came here as a trailing spouse, uh, that didn't apply to me at the time, uh-huh. and I was just brought in under a spousal visa. Actually, you know what? We came to Germany on our tourist visas because uh, being Americans, you can come to the to the EU to the Schengen zone without um, without a visa, and then you just go to the um, the Dresden Welcome Center, the uh, Ausländer Behörde, the Foreigner Registration Office, and and they take you through uh, all the paperwork requirements there, along with the representative from the school, obviously. But it was never a question for me in terms of whether I was going to be able to stay because we're married and she's the one with the job. And it was easy to uh, to just, just fall in um, and start our lives as German residents in, in that case. Okay. But Andrew, I mean, now you're working in Germany at the same school as, as your wife. Uh, is that a case of you needed that now? The, the Teach Now certification was really essential to be able to be a teacher, you know, doing your elementary stuff. The teaching certification is necessary, uh, I think, to get full-time employment right. um, at not not just at, at our school now, but at any international school. If I want to recruit, for example, um, through Search Associates, then I'm going to need to have mm-hmm. uh, a teaching certificate in order to uh, be taken seriously as a candidate. Um, so for, at our school, there are certain levels at which you can come in, um, you can work uh, in the morning care after school care program. That's how a lot of people got their start at the school in terms of their full-time teaching careers. Right. Uh, for me, we've only been here about two years. Um, but yeah, when I first, when we first moved here, I, I didn't even work at the school. I went to German language school uh, during the day because Alicia was working full-time and, and I needed something to do uh, to keep myself from going crazy. So <laughs> I my the idea was that I would learn German and get a a white collar job somewhere in Dresden. Uh, but Dresden wow. is not an international cosmopolitan city like Berlin or Frankfurt or Munich. So there aren't, there aren't hardly, I mean, you know what, there aren't any jobs really for, for foreigners, uh, that are speaking English. So if you want to get a, an English speaking job in Germany, um, you better find yourself in a place like Berlin or Frankfurt or Munich mm-hmm. and get a job with an international company. And most of these expat positions are, mid or senior management positions that, you know, the company's home office in Houston or New York or something has sent the employee here as a typical expat assignment. So you can't just show up and expect to get a job as an English speaker uh, in Germany unless you're working in an international school, which I am. So Um, going back to the Teach Now program where you got your teaching credential from, Andrew, uh, what, what, what do you think the most important kind of golden nugget did you learn from it that you're using now in the classroom apart from obviously getting the official paperwork which of course is essential now for most what i'd say professional international schools yeah the paperwork um is definitely essential um but as far as golden nuggets go i think i had this idea in my mind of what it meant to manage a classroom um, before i started the program and I was subbing at the school here even before um, I started my formal teacher training. Uh, wow. So, you know, they were they were thankful to have uh, somebody who had a lot of experience uh, working in international schools already, not necessarily in a teaching capacity, but, you know, someone who has youth mentorship experience and who's worked in schools before. Mm-hmm. So I, I ticked those boxes. Uh, but without the teaching qualification, uh, my upward mobility was certainly limited. 
Um, but you know, stepping into the classroom for the first time, you can have all the experience in the world um, with kids, and that's not going to prepare you to be able to uh, manage a classroom in, in terms of the classroom management side of things. So the most valuable thing that I've gotten out of the Teach Now program has been that uh, mentorship, um, not just from my mentor here at DIS, but also through my instructors in the Teach Now program, really kind of helping me uh, develop my classroom management skills um, so that I can you know, run, run a classroom um, and, and have it be a much more rewarding experience, not just for me professionally, but also to have some really positive uh, learning outcomes uh, as a result. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's get more more into your current teaching position then. So, Andrew, tell me about your current school in Dresden. What's the official name of it? So the official name of our school is Dresden International School. Um, we are a preschool all the way through grade 12, uh, IB World School. So we have the PYP, the MYP, and the uh, IB Diploma Program. I, I mean, a lot of teachers I speak to now, obviously abroad, are doing the, the IB Program, the International Baccalaureate Program. Being a kind of a, a newish teacher, uh, based on the background that we've talked about today, is it something that does the school give you a lot of training in, in the IB realm? A lot of teachers say to me, "Oh, to get into an IB school, you need to have IB certification." But it seems to be, if I take the general comments from most experienced teachers, that really once you're in, you know, if you show a good interest in in wanting to be in an IB school and you get in, that's when the training and the personal development happens. How's that been for you? I've been really thankful for the professional development opportunities that the school's given me, even as a cover teacher. Um, the IB is inquiry-based, um, as I'm sure you know, uh, mm. and I think that wrapping my mind around that and what it looks like in terms of uh, implementation in the classroom has been a really cool experience. Um, I'm scheduled to be to take a course uh, here uh, in the next couple of months um, called uh, Making the PYP Happen, uh, Implementing Agency. Um, so that is, uh, I think, the tier one uh, IB training that I need to go through um, j- just, just for me professionally. Uh, it's not something that I think is required in order right. to teach at the school because we have people teaching at the school who don't have any prior IB experience. But yeah, I think the best experience you can get um, as far as IB training is actually working in an IB school and seeing how uh, it's implemented. So that's been a very valuable experience for me. Are you looking to further your career in education? Teach Now offers a convenient online teacher preparation and master's degree program completed anywhere in the world. Reach Now for Teach Now. Ain't no time for defeat now. Teachers get off your seats now. Future generations need you now. Work with people all over the world in a collaborative, activity-based teaching environment. To learn more, visit teach-now.edu. Expertise that is really outside of the box. Are you, obviously you're there with your wife who teaches at the same school, but are you there with other family, children? Uh, yeah, we came here, uh, just my wife and I, but since we arrived, uh, we did add um, another tiny human into the equation. So we've got a five-month-old um, uh, son who uh, arrived in August, um, and yeah, it's it's been a life-changing experience. If I had one recommendation, actually, 
uh, for people who are going through a teacher training program. It's to not do it at the same time that uh, you have an infant in the house <laughs> because yeah. it is it is a lot of work going through a teacher training uh, program. And uh, when you have a baby, as I'm sure you know, uh, having kids yourself, um, it sucks away all of your available time. So that's been a challenge. Yeah, maybe on the Teach Now program website, they should have a disclaimer. Do not do if you're uh, if you're having to manage a newborn. Although saying that, Andrew, you're not certainly not the first person that's had to to go through it with. Uh, I, I remember one of them on my cohort, a lady, I was having twins. Um, and as as we progressed, you know, every week she'd get bigger and bigger. And then at some point she did obviously, I think, have to put the program on pause. But that's a good thing with the Teach Now, right? You can pause it if you have extenuating circumstances and, and come back to it. So it is, you know, I think that's that's pretty advantageous, isn't it? It is a slightly flexible to those things. Um, but brilliant. OK, well, congrats on the birth of your first boy. We, we also have a, a free month year, actually three month year old, three month old. Uh, baby as well and um, well if you're going to have any more don't have four right anyway uh, moving on uh, (laughs) let's talk about here's one thing actually uh, about now you guys are in Dresden in Germany you know you you'd call Western Europe in terms of because you worked before in uh, Uzbekistan in terms of the money side of things obviously don't need to go into actual figures but you know can you can you save there as much as, say, you could in an international school in Uzbekistan? Because those ones that tend to be in the far out countries, they have to pay a bit more, do they not, Andrew? So they can get teachers like you over there and, and stay in there. Whereas, obviously, when you go to Germany, there's a lot more teachers. There's a lot more kind of demand uh, for, for wanting to be in Western Europe. How does that work in your experience? Uh, I think that schools in Western Europe uh, have going for them. The number one thing they have going for them is that they are located in Western Europe. Mm. And a lot of people, as you just said, um, would really like to come work in Western Europe. So the financial side of things, uh, you're right. Uh, It's not a money-saving opportunity the way it is uh, in Central Asia or Eastern Europe. Tashkent International School being located in Uzbekistan. Yes, it's a doubly landlocked country. Um, However, uh, they don't have, I think, um, the level of compensation uh, package that that you would think uh, for being such an isolated location. However, the cost of living there is so low that the savings opportunity uh, and the savings potential, I guess you should say, is very high. Um, So, yeah, they may not have the um, most lucrative package, but I think when you compare that to the cost of living, uh, it's it's really, really good. Um, and just speaking of the difference of Eastern and Western Europe, I mean, here we are in Dresden, right? So Berlin mm-hmm. is two hours straight north of us by train, and Prague is two hours directly south of us by train. Wow. Um, Pro- International School of Prague is one of those, you know, they consider it a top-tier school. Uh, they're one of the schools, and Poland too, because Poland's only two hours away uh, to the to the east. Uh, we're surrounded, like here in a border region in um, East Germany. Um, Poland and Czech Republic are considered Eastern Europe, and your packages there are going to provide you with flights home. They're going to provide you with housing. Um, not the same story here, uh, just the other side of the border in in Germany. Um, we do okay. Uh, but we have to pay German taxes. We have to find our own apartment and pay for it. Um, But one of the things that I find most refreshing about living uh, in 
Western Europe um, and working at an international school is that there is no difference uh, in terms of um, professional uh, respect or salary uh, between us and our local colleagues. So, for uh-huh. example, you might have right. local colleagues at a school in, in South Southwest Asia or Southeast Asia and or in, in Central Central Europe or or Eastern Europe um, or Central Asia. And, you know, there's a big discrepancy uh, in terms of the package just because you happen to be a local. You could be just as well qualified as the guy they fly in from Australia, um, but he's probably making you know, 10 times more than you mm-hmm. and has a mansion to live in and annual flights home and that kind of thing. So we're normal people here in Germany. And that, that's that's been a refreshing change, I think, from our experience working in international schools in other parts of the world. Hmm, very, very good point, Andrew. Uh, I think you mentioned it earlier in terms of actually getting your job where you are now in, in Dresden. So you, you started off, as you said, learning German. Your wife got the actual uh, contract. And then as you were there, it, the case came where a door opened, right? Yeah, so the door opened and uh, I stepped through it. Um, you know, at first I didn't have uh, that many hours, but you know, I, I think that they've realized that um, I'm a real asset to the school now, mm. and um, you know, I'm I'm almost full time in terms of the number of hours I'm working as a cover teacher. Um, the The system here uh, for subs is is pretty good because you don't um, you don't have uh, nearly as many uh, extra, not as much extra help in the classroom, uh, in terms of teaching assistance and that kind of thing. Um, just because like I said, with this difference between Eastern and Western Europe, um, there's Mm no, uh, pay gap, uh, between local and uh, international colleagues. And I think that might have something to do with, uh, the availability of teaching assistance and whatnot, just for budgetary reasons, you know, schools Mm -hmm. in Western Europe can't afford to have a TA in every single classroom. So when the homeroom teacher is out, um, boom, they need a cover teacher, and that's where I come in. And as a result, I've had experience working across all grade levels in the PYP, um, all the way from kindergarten up through um, grade five. And I, I get I get quite a lot of work even uh, in a school our size, which is about 500 students. Mm. So in terms of Dresden, how is the, the city? How are you finding it? And of course, it's got the, when we think of Dresden, you obviously sadly think of World War II um, and what happened there. Uh, but, you know, as far as it goes, how are you guys finding it? Uh, Dresden is such a great city. Um, you know, I think it's one of those, uh, I hate I hate this term uh, in, the, in tourism circles, but it, it really is kind of like a hidden gem uh, of Germany. It's a major German city, but not a lot of tourists uh, know about it. So it's right. not as crowded. You know, Prague is right down the road, and if you've ever been to Prague, you know that the place is just packed with tourists from all over the world. Uh, Dresden has attractions and monuments that are on the same level as Prague, if not better. Um, a thousand years ago, you know, the electors of Saxony, uh, they were based here in Dresden, mm. and all the way up through the 19th century, uh, Saxony was its its own country, um, and it wasn't until uh Germany became one country after all the kingdoms decided to come together, um, that it was, you know, formally a German city. So it's Saxon first. And even today, Dresden is the capital of the uh, free state of Saxony in in the Bundesrepublik Deutschland. So today, Dresden has all the treasures of uh, Saxony and museums that are world class, uh, art collections that are just out of this world amazing architecture and yeah you mentioned the bombings uh at the end of the second world war uh which were certainly tragic 
Um, but the city has, since the fall of uh, communism, mm. um, really done a, a good job of uh, rebuilding a lot of the historic town center. Um, the Frauenkirche, which is the, the big um, Luth German Lutheran church in the center, has been rebuilt uh, since um, since reunification of East and West Germany and is once again you know the symbol of the city. So I'm sure that before the war, it was this magical place that was uh, actually known as Florence on the Elba, because the Elba is the river that goes through Dresden. And of course, you know Florence in Italy. So it was at that same level in terms of uh, culture and art. Um, and that a lot of that has been preserved and restored. And it's just, it's such a great city to be. Not many people uh, speak uh, English here because it's not a major um, German city, um, but you know you've got all those benefits of a of a big international city without it actually being such a huge city. So we take the tram to work every day. Uh, public transport's amazing. We've got the S-Bahn and great high-speed train links to the rest of Europe. Uh, we've got an airport that has some really decent connections. We have a new flight now on on Ryanair that goes straight to London three times a week. So it's it's really well connected. Yeah, yeah it's it's a it's a beautiful place, and you know I th I think that. Uh, a place to raise a kid, especially. Uh, a lot of people are having babies here. It's amazing. There are babies everywhere. There's pregnant people everywhere. So it's a baby boom town. <laughs> and um, I, <laughs> so we, we've we've fallen in uh, with the locals in that respect and that, oh, we, we come to Dresden, we have a baby. There must be something in the water. So we're happy. Here. We're very happy here. Definitely yeah. happy here. Great. And, and I think, as you said earlier, the fact that it's so close, you know, we're on the border of Eastern Europe, that really makes for some, I think, some great road trips, uh, doesn't it, over the, the years that you've... Have you done any so far, Andrew? Uh, we actually don't have a car. Um, but yeah, we've we've rented a car a couple times and uh, we've driven into the, the Czech Republic uh -huh. um, uh, once or twice. We did a road trip to Italy um, back in April of last year which was fun. We rented this tiny little Volkswagen up. It's like the smallest car in their fleet. I don't know if you're familiar with it. And not, driving not, that up not, over the Alps. Not with four children. I, I don't think I'd no, ever. No, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just imagine the smallest possible Volkswagen yeah, and brilliant. then uh, try to drive that up over a mountain pass through <laughs> the Alps and uh, into Italy. And, and that's what we did, you know, with the gas pedal all the way down, just kind of like struggling to keep up with, with traffic. Um, yeah, brilliant. But no, I mean, yeah, you're right. Ro road trips from here um, into Eastern Europe uh, and, you know, down to Italy. I mean, we're, we're in Western Europe. So, yeah, the travel opportunities here are, are really, really great. Yeah, making me jealous. But now you've come from, from Uzbekistan, which, you know, it's like day and night compared to where you are in Dresden. I mean, what favorite things to you personally or as a family are you really enjoying since moving from, uh, from Central Asia? I mean, it, it is night and day difference uh, between uh, Uzbekistan and Germany. I mean, the grass literally is greener in <laughs> Western Europe. <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, we didn't have um, uh, the baby when we when we moved to Germany. Um, but, you know, when we first got here, just trying to get ourselves uh, settled, we arrived in um, June of 2018. I don't know if I if I mentioned that earlier. Uh, so we've been here a little bit over uh, 18 months now. And I mean, it's not our first time living in Western Europe because when I was uh, working for the government, uh, we lived in Italy uh, and I was there for six years and traveled extensively uh, throughout Western Europe at that time as well. 
Um, but we've really been enjoying um, city life, European city life, as opposed to uh, Uzbek city life. Um, don't have a car. We came here knowing that we wouldn't get one because that's one of our goals is to live without a car. Um, whereas in Uzbekistan, we had a driver who took us everywhere because the public transport is okay. It's just not great, especially for getting to, to work when we were in Tashkent. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, popping around to the grocery store, um, a couple times a week rather than once a week and, you know, going to the bakery and, you know, the great museums and just architecture from previous eras. Uh, we've had that in, in Tashkent too with the, the architectural wonders, but you know, it, it's, it's not, it's different. It's not the same as, as being in Western Europe. So I think there's this kind of romantic idea of living in Europe and we definitely have that here in Dresden. So we're happy about that. So what's different from teaching, uh, would you say, Andrew, in, uh, in Dresden to Uzbekistan? Uh, yeah. Any kind of big differences? Um, I think, you know, the, the makeup of our school here in Dresden is completely different from the makeup of our school in Tashkent. We're about the same size. Um, Tashkent International School, 500, 550 students. Dresden International School, around 500. Uh, the big difference is that Tashkent being uh, a major capital city, um, we have all of the embassy kids and uh, international businesses that, that have their personnel stationed there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a completely different community atmosphere. Um, we had a cap on enrollment, I think, in uh, Tashkent. I, I don't know. It was, wow. I think it's something like 20, 25% have to be uh, more – in anything over 25%, they have to be international. So 25% uh, local kids and uh, 75% like truly international. So we have that like true international feel in Tashkent. We had like the annual UN Day celebration because all the UN agencies are headquartered there. Um, but then here in Dresden, um, we have kind of a hybrid system. So we're required uh, to offer the German language curriculum because we have about 50% of our students are actual, actually local kids right. um, that come from, from German families. Um, but we also have um, a lot of international companies that have um, factories and that kind of thing here because Dresden and Saxony is kind of considered like the Silicon Valley of uh, of Germany. Uh, so a lot of high tech uh, businesses have have offices here. And if they're not staff kids that come from uh, international uh, countries, then it's uh, kids who have families that work in the high tech sector that send their kids to our school. Um, so about 50% German and then 50% international. It's a big, a big Russian community here as well. We have, uh, quite a few students from China and, uh, Japan mm. and Korea as well. Um, but yeah, the language on the playground that you hear most, uh, is German, whereas the language you heard on the playground the most in Uzbekistan was, uh, Russian, uh, and English. So that's a big difference. Yeah. Wow. And, and as a PYP teacher there in, in Dresden International School, what's a big challenge um, that you've come up uh, across? Because clearly the, the living uh, in comparison to the previous job doesn't seem um, as much of a challenge. Um, yeah, I mean, life life in Western Europe is, is really easy. Um, and, you know, it wasn't it wasn't difficult in Tashkent. It was it was just different. Um, but. At the school, uh, I think that 
it's more of the difference in community. So I talked about the the makeup of the student body, but yeah. in terms of the community atmosphere as well, like here in Dresden, uh, people have their, their normal lives uh, at the end of the day, whereas in Tashkent, the center of the community was kind of the school. So they had a lot more happening mm-hmm. after school and on the weekends, whereas here people just tend to go home at the end of the day and very little happens on the weekends. Um, so people have their, the kids have their friends, uh, at school and, you know, they, I think socialize with them, uh, outside of school as well, but it's, there's not that same, uh, connection, uh, in terms of the, um, the community that there was here in Dresden as there was in Tashkent. It's not a bad thing. It's just different because people have different priorities here, uh, in Dresden than they did living in Uzbekistan. When, which one would you kind of move towards more, more the school being more of the community center or, or as it is now where you are um i don't you know that's a difficult question uh we really appreciated the community in in tashkent um but you know we we have uh, a, a lot more local friends uh here in dresden right so i think as an international teacher um you kind of find your your social outlets um where you can and a lot of times if you're working in a more austere location, that community tends to be centered around the school, whereas if you're living in an English-speaking country or a country with a big uh, expat community um, or uh, a, a school like like Dresden International School where it's more family-oriented, um, then you end up finding more local friends who want to um, socialize with you. So, you know, I, I, I'd say it's, it's 50-50. Uh, we like what we have here. We like what we had there. Um, we're happy to be in Western Europe. Um, but we made it work in in Tashkent. So I think if you're an international teacher, the number one thing you have to ask yourself before you uh, pursue that career track is, are you going to be comfortable uh, living wherever you happen to get a job? And for us, that answer is yes. And we make it work no matter what country we live in. Great, great answers, uh, Andrew. Not that we need any magic, I don't believe, as we're doing this podcast, but <laughs> it's time for magic one time. Yeah, here we go. Can you- Nice and quick answers. If you can roll them off, one word okay. or one liners. The first one is here we go. Favorite game you like to play in your class, Andrew? Uh, it's a game called Musical Statues. Favorite tech tool you use in class? We use the uh, Smartboard uh, quite a lot in the class. And favorite sentence you like to say to your students? Hmm. One, two, three, eyes on me. (laughs) (laughs) If I could wave a magic wand, what could I give you, Andrew, that could help your classroom or school at this very moment? Keeping in the theme theme of of classroom management, um, something that, you know, you could snap your fingers or wave your magic wand and immediately make uh, all the kids in your classroom completely enamored in whatever you're doing and uh, pay attention. Right, yeah, I think what you need to get is one of those electric shock mechanisms. You link them up to under each (laughs) chair. (laughs) That'll get them to turn around. Okay, did I say that on air? Terrible of me. I was only joking, listeners. And finally, finally, give us your favorite teacher's tip, tool, website, resource, or person of educational inspiration. Um, you know, I'd, I'd have to say that in terms of uh, resources, um, Teachers Pay Teachers is a fantastic resource. Um, planning has always been my, my number one um, uh, area in terms of like, like positive feedback. Um, 
but you can spend a lot of time planning as a teacher and why reinvent the wheel when there are a lot of great lessons and resources um, already out there that you can tweak uh, to work uh, how you need them in your classroom. So teachers pay teachers. Okay, indeed. Great. Right. Let's get back into uh, Guess the Gap, shall we? Oh, we chat, waiting, we chat, waiting, we chat, waiting, me. We chat, waiting, we chat, waiting, come to my party. Guess the Gap then. Here we go. I'll give you the uh, the quote. Apparently, it's another anonymous one. I can't give you any source that perhaps could help you, Andrew. Here we go. <laughs> Teachers, not in it for the income, in it for the blank. What do you think it is? Uh, you know, I really had to rack my brain on this one, and I have heard various iterations of this um, in the past, but, you know, not in it for the income, in it for the students. The students is, I think, my best answer. Good. Well, um, as I like to say, well done with the creative input. I'm afraid it's wrong. Uh, okay. <laughs> here we go. Don't be too shaved. Teachers, here, teachers, not in it for the income, listeners, in it for the outcome. Listen to that cheese. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that that's really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> but yours, your, your, yours was too. And uh, as we always do uh, before we finish, Andrew, uh, to the listeners who want to perhaps get in touch, uh, thinking about moving to Germany perhaps are interested in your PYP experience either there or what you were doing in Uzbekistan, we'll put your contact details on the show notes. In terms of future, uh, what, what's kind of your plans looking ahead, Andrew? Staying in Dresden? Uh, yeah, how does it look? Um, I think that uh, for the short term anyway, yes, uh, we're definitely in Dresden uh, for a while. Um, in terms of my teaching future, uh, you know, obviously, uh, as a newly certified teacher, I'm going to have to uh, have my own classroom before too long. So that's the next step. Uh, whether or not that happens here in Dresden or happens uh, in another city uh, at some point in the future remains to be seen. Um, but I, I think we're staying in Dresden uh, for the near term. Super exciting stuff. Keep on teaching. This is China Jedi, people. If you're an English-speaking teacher from anywhere in the world and you have a bachelor's degree but need an official and accredited teaching license to get a job, get a visa to teach abroad, or most importantly to learn all those things you wish you knew before you stood in front of 30-plus students, then reach now to Teach Now and secure a professional U.S. District of Columbia license in as little as nine months. Online in no time, low cost, high quality, Teach Now. Get in the game. Immediately receive a $100 discount of your tuition by signing up to the Teach Now program by the link www.teach-now.edu forward slash China Jedi. May the smile be with you.